Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you'd like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. To change your life for more than one month and for more than one year will require some serious power. The dedication necessary must come from a capable source. When your baptism, which connects you to Jesus' own, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit has been at work to give you a rebirth and to renew you daily. This empowers you to be the new you that God has declared you to be through his miraculous power. This week, we get to take a deep dive into the amazing meaning and purpose of baptism. That is the focus of this week's Conversation with Jesus. What you see isn't always what it seems. There's more there than meets the eye, right? In most things in life, the thing that you see has a backstory, has a history, has meaning. Now, have you ever thought about how quickly you and I as people, we make evaluations based off a first impression? In fact, in a split second, from the moment our eyes see to the moment our brains process so much analyzing takes place. Now, we can judge a restaurant by the cleanliness of the bathroom floor. At least I do. If I go in and the bathroom's a mess, odds are I'm not going to be eating there, no matter what the Yelp reviews say. Or we make a judgment on a book by its cover, right? That age-old expression, but there's so much truth to it. Or we judge a movie by a trailer or a poster. But as you know, often what our eyes tell us isn't the full story. And if there's one story that illustrates that better than any, it's Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Jack and his mom are on the verge of starvation, so he sells their cow for some beans. And that's all we know about the man who, who traded those beans, right? We know nothing about him outside the fact that he had these magic beans. Well, after Jack does this, his mom is understandably ticked off. After all, it seemed without a doubt he was scammed. Or was he? Right? All of a sudden, the next day, a huge beanstalk appears. Some fee-fi-fo-fums are heard. I hope you like my giant voice. I really practiced that hard. Uh, but that gold is grabbed. The giant chases. The beanstalk falls. But after that stock comes down, Jack and his mom have more gold than they ever dreamed. Those quote-unquote worthless beans were in actuality the rescue from poverty they needed. To Jack's mother... As she looked at those beans the first time, they looked like seeds of death. But to Jack, and as the story proves, they were the beginning of a new life for their family. And all this came through the philanthropy, the love for people of a man who traded those magic beans and gave this family a whole new existence and purpose. Do you think that God's philanthropy, his love for people, his love for you, do you think it's like that in a way? His special and unique love for us human beings that appear 
in ways that betray our vision? Is there more to God's grace than meets the eye? I think there is. See, whenever we hear that word philanthropy, just in everyday culture, our lives, online, it almost always is in connection to someone who's wildly wealthy. The Bill Gateses and the Jeff Bezoses of the world, they give millions to the underprivileged all over the globe. Their foundations feed the hungry, heal the sick, give new technology. So much goodness meets the eye. Well, that word philanthropy, it actually comes almost verbatim straight out of the Greek. And its base meaning is love for human beings, love for people. It's a beautiful thing when such gifts of kindness happen, but there's often more there than meets the eye. Many of these philanthropic efforts are done for the goal of gaining some sort of glory or recognition or at the very least feeling warm inside. And every one of these efforts is done for people that we pity in some way, shape, or form, right? Now imagine with me for a minute if philanthropy was done for people who abused us personally. Now, I don't know about you, I've never seen or heard a news story on my Google News feed or on CNN or on Fox News or in the newspaper or even just talking with other people. I've never heard of a story of someone giving a huge sum of money to a person who is an emotional or physical abuser. I've never witnessed someone give millions to a person who rejected them, ghosted them, or abandoned them. And yet, that's exactly the brand of philanthropy, love for people that God has for you and me. And the people of Crete in first century AD are a prime example of this. So if you have your Bible app open or the physical Bible in front of you, we're in Titus chapter 3. And Titus, he was a young pastor in this island, on this island of Crete. And this whole book of the Bible is actually a letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus, whom he was mentoring since he was a young pastor. And so Titus is on this island, and Paul, he had amazing, huge plans for the island of Crete created all these international harbors, and Paul's hope was that Crete would be the launching pad of the gospel for the entire Mediterranean region. But there were some literal temple-sized problems to that plan, at least in that plan. See, Cretans were well known for their culture of lying and abuse, and so they held up Zeus as their role model for life. And if you know anything about Zeus from Greek mythology, he doesn't do things for others. A lot of times he's doing things to gain something for himself. And so Zeus was their role model, and he was. The idea was this, that people could become gods in a way. That people could eventually do whatever they wanted like Zeus did, whether that was being a womanizer or never to be caught thief. In other words, on Crete, their whole culture was based on a lie. And the lie was this, and it's going to sound familiar because our culture struggles with it too. It's this lie that you deserve whatever it is that fancies your sight and you can do whatever it takes to get it. Whatever makes you happy, you deserve that or so the lie says. It wasn't philanthropy, love for people. It was philan selfie, the love for self. How could God love people like that who are willing to exploit other people and take advantage of them simply to gain what they want? I'll make that question personal. And its impact, it hits home really quickly. How could God love a person like me? Hurts to think about that, right? 
Maybe you're thinking of a sin that you've been struggling with for a long time. It hurts. See, in Titus 3, verse 3, Paul lays out exactly who he used to be without Jesus. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We definitely live in those times today in America, don't we? We are Cretans by nature. We shame others on social media to build up our personal brand. We're driven by what we want in the moment, regardless of how it will affect other people. We abandon God in our devotional lives. We ghost God in our prayer life. We live deceived. And maybe there's no more debilitating deception in Satan's locker of lies than the lie that our baptism means and does nothing. Now imagine with me as you listen to this podcast, if you can picture our church or maybe another church you've been to and you see that baptismal font up at the front or somewhere in your church, imagine looking at my hand and seeing water dripping from it and just self-reflect with me for a minute. When was the last time you thought about the day you were baptized? When you were at home or in the car or during supper or at work? I'll be the first to confess that it's a rare day when the wonder of my baptism leaves me breathless. I wish that it did more often. Uh, to my shame, it's far too easy to minimize baptism to just some water droplets and 13 words and leave it at that. But meets the eye in baptism doesn't seem like much. A ceremony that lasts maybe five minutes can't mean a whole lot or so Satan the deadly deceiver declares. He says as much because he knows where God's philanthropy, his love for people appears. It appears, it has its epiphany in things that are far more than meet the eye. See, without Jesus in our lives and hearts, we are self-promoting Cretans. We disregard and minimize the things of God. We criticize God. We abandon God. It's in those moments of being lost. It's in those moments that outward appearance betrays the dangerous state of our hearts that God's philanthropic love for you enters in. See, Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, they're obviously written for Titus at first, but don't be mistaken, these were written for you too. And so just take in the words of your God, who despite us causing him harm, he wouldn't be stopped from being moved to give us the greatest treasure, the most wonderful gift of philanthropy ever. This is amazing. Paul writes, but when the kindness and love, and that word for love there, that's love for people specifically, kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, because of his mercy. God's mercy, not giving us what we deserve, it, it leaves us breathless. When his love appeared, your life shifted in an entirely different direction. Do you know how that love appeared? How God's unique and purposeful philanthropy for you is uncovered? Well, listen closely. Paul writes, he saved us. How? Well, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, at our church, we put the baptismal font right there up at the front. In fact, we start off every worship service by remembering our baptism, saying, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, why do you think that's done by design. Why do you think our baptism is one of the first things you want to think about as we walk into God's house, walk into our Father's home? Your baptism was when your Father, your Savior, and your Sanctifier, the Holy Spirit, entered your heart and life forever. How could we not want to think about that right away, right? Through some water droplets and 13 words of God spoken over them, you were reborn. 
You are no longer a sin-stained Cretan, but a blood-bought child of God. Your identity is no longer confused or full of suffering or a dead end. Your identity, washed in the blood of Jesus, is now Christian. You have been reborn. Every day you wake up renewed by God's grace, restored to live a new life, with joy splashing over everything you do. In this most unexpected of ways to defy the sense of sight, Jesus personally entered your life. The Holy Spirit crafted faith. Your world changed forever. Through those tiny drops of water and the powerful word of God, you were transferred from death to life. God the Father looks at you just like he looked at Jesus on the day he was baptized. He sees you through the sight of Jesus and he says, This is my daughter. This is my son, whom I love. With her and with him, I am well pleased. Why would his philanthropy appear for you and me? Because that is simply who God is. His character is defined by selfless, self-giving love. Through your baptism, that is how your true identity and character are defined as well. And just look at the automatic result, the certain future that is yours through baptism. Paul goes on. He says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Because you are a baptized and believing child of your heavenly father and sibling of Jesus, you receive the greatest gift of God's philanthropy, certain hope. Not mostly certain hope, not kind of certain hope, but absolutely certain hope. And don't think for a minute that the might in this verse, when Paul says we might become heirs, makes this hope uncertain. That's an English grammar thing, right? In a result clause in grammar, might is the word to use. So the thought of this, not that it's good English, but here's the main thought of what Paul's getting at. is not that we might become heirs, but we get to become heirs. We got to become heirs through God's grace. There is no doubt of what you have through faith and baptism. The inheritance of heaven and this gift of hope that transforms everything your eyes see in life. Imagine seeing water dropping from a faucet and you remember the identity Jesus gave you through baptism. A simple moment and yet it reminds you of something far, far more significant than anything we can begin to imagine. As you dry your hands only to find your kids in tears struggling to share, you calmly empathize with them, humbly call out their sin, and excitedly talk about Jesus and how he shared the greatest gift of all with us. You're empowered through baptism for parenting. When you hop into your work Zoom meeting and you see that coworker who likes to talk over everyone else, instead of internally fuming with annoyance, you're empowered by baptism to pray that she grows closer to Jesus because maybe in her life, she feels like no one takes her seriously or cares about her deeply. You look past faults and you love. Baptism empowers you to be a husband or wife after God's own heart. That you have one purpose in your marriage, and that's to love your husband or your wife like Jesus, so that one day they can stand with you in heaven forever. As a baptized believer, you approach your friends and your grandkids and everybody you interact with with compassion and empathy. And yes, as a baptized child of God, you're empowered to not lay on the horn a half second after the light turns green. I know that's a temptation here in South Florida, but now you wait a whole second because you're empowered by God's grace. Okay, it's being a little bit silly, but you get the point. When you see your future through the certain waters of your baptism, you're empowered to live fearlessly. You see hope in the darkness and you run to the water of life, your Savior, who pours grace into your life, not by the ton, 
or excuse me, by the ton. <laughs> he gives you so much grace. It's not a trickle of grace. It is an overwhelming flood of God's grace. That's what you have through baptism. See, baptism isn't some imaginative fairy tale of magic like Jack and the Beanstalk. It's the real, authentic, invisible evidence of who you really are by God's grace. It's the day that the Lord rejected Satan from claiming you as his property. It's the moment your sins were drowned forever. It's the springboard to every relationship and conversation you will ever have. You're empowered to live fearlessly for Jesus. Your baptism was the moment God's philanthropy appeared in your life, and it's the moment all of heaven rejoiced because Jesus made you a child of hope with a family who will welcome you forever. You're empowered to live the most amazing calling this world has ever known, a child of God. Let's pray. To you, Father, who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before your glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God's richest blessings as you live for him this week. If you maybe haven't been baptized, I would absolutely love to connect with you on that and share with you all the amazing gifts that we have in baptism. If you'd like to reach out to me about this, you can contact me at johnny.layman at divinesaviorchurch.com. So J-O-N-N-Y dot L-E-H-M-A-N-N at divinesaviorchurchnospaces.com. God's blessings. Talk with you again next week.